Hello! Welcome to Comic Book Hero Live, everybody. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Today, we're going to talk about some comics that came out this week. We're going to talk about what's going on in the world of comic books. You know the thing about comic books, one of the things I like about comic books is how they're really good. <laughs> I would say, if I had to rank the things I like about comics, I would say, number one, they're really good, and I enjoy them a lot. <laughs> like, that is that's probably my favorite thing about comic books. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit today. X-Men Red, number 18, the end of an era with X-Men Red. We'll talk about the end of that run. We got Immortal Thor, number five, big week for Al Ewing. Uh, Danger Street, issues one through 12. I did a Tom King, Jorge Fornius, Danger Street binge. We can talk about that a little bit. And then uh, I want to talk a little Batman Mad City, or City of Madness, pardon me. Pardon me, got a little City of Madness I've been catching up on. I'll talk a little bit about DC Black Label, what Marvel's got planned for the Ultimate Universe. Any questions, any thoughts you have in here, um, get them in. Get in your thoughts. Get in your questions. Let's have a little conversation. Cousin Marcus asks, what kind of mic you use? Why? Was it, was it, it was such stereo pleasure in your ears that you want to replicate that experience? For others is that probably that's what happened uh so i used to use a really nice mic but it came in very quietly i've got the whole focus right uh settings and all these things right and uh now i use this cheap cheaper uh usb what is it a blue yeti kind of thing like one of the like one of the go-to's and the reason I do that is for live streams, um, it's just, it's much louder. <laughs> like, just the volume. I've messed with, like, preamp stuff on the mic that gets a clearer... When, I, when I've done all the video, like, all the Crack and Krakow videos you've ever listened to have been recorded on... A, not all of them, because I started out without the equipment, but the 90% were recorded on a nicer microphone. Uh, but it just, it comes in so stinking quietly that I finally was like, you know what, screw it. This comes in loud. It's clear enough. I'm just going to do the the Blue Yeti plug-in. It's hardly going to be um, what like audio experts are going to recommend to you, but it seems to be working just fine. Uh, somebody says, where did the singing intro go? I don't know. Did it come through? I never know. I, I start singing the second I push go live, and I frankly have a very confusing relationship between when I click that button and when I'm actually live on your screen. So if you heard the hives, the singing came through. If you did not hear the hives and you did not hear me basking in, in hating to say I told you so, then I guess the music didn't come through this week. What a bummer. What a sad week. It's not Christmas yet. Don't worry. There's better stuff yet to come here in the month. But that's that's a tough blow for the month of December if the singing did not come through. Uh, Vasco says, X-Men Red 18, can we just keep the team together on the cover, please? Not totally sure what that means. Cousin Mark says, City of Madness, a top three illustrated comic I've ever seen. It's great. Christian Ward is, is such a fantastic illustrator and storyteller and colorist. I mean, just like the choices of blues and pinks that Ward uses in their work. It's a huge part of what made Black Bolt such a hit for Marvel. Uh, and it has gone on to, of course, be Christian Ward stock in trade. This is a, a very good, very good DC Black Label book. If you're not reading this Batman City of Madness, I think the second issue 
just came out. You know, it really highlights to me, I, I don't know if I'm a broken record on this or not, but like Black Label is such a competitive advantage right now for DC over Marvel. I mean, it is an insane competitive advantage where they have these European album format, wider than your standard comic, prestige artists um, hub in Black Label, and Marvel just has nothing comparable. And it is so weird. It is so weird because Marvel will chase anything DC does. And vice versa, generally speaking, right? But like Marvel can see DC have a very bad idea and they will be like, I would like two of those, please. You cannot have something we don't have. And yet when it comes to Black Label and it comes to prestige artist focus, just give creators the opportunity to have their way with a character or a property, generally Batman, but not always, Marvel doesn't seem interested. Like, Black Label's been around for, what, like, three, four years? Obviously, Vertigo before that. I just, I don't understand why there's no interest. I'm very confused why there's no interest. I mean, these are, like, unquestionably, when I go into a comic shop, a lot of talk about retailers and, and the market and what the problems are and what ails comics these days. But when I go into a shop and I see something this big and this uh, different from the standard superhero fair, and then you look inside, and it's just gorgeous, right? And then a good story on top to boot is, of course, what you're hoping for. But it's like, there's such a better chance of me throwing out extra money for something like that, as opposed to an ultimate invasion, number one, which maybe has big creative names attached, maybe kicks off something that I'm going to be interested in. But the product itself is not a $9.99 product. Right, Black Label at least promises that. I, I, they're so like every time I go into a shop and I'm like, you know what, I'm just gonna buy a bunch of extra stuff today, stuff off my pull list. It's always Black Label books, always Black Label books. They also have like an incredible advantage right now. This podcast is not sponsored by Black Label, sadly. <laughs> I wish it was. Um, they also have a real advantage in terms of like, I would so much rather read a Black Label book in print than digital. You know, um, I if we're talking any standard Marvel comic, the gap between reading the physical edition versus digital, non-existent, right? Aside from just your own personal, I like having this thing in my hands relationship, which some of you, some of you are going to go with that till the day you die, right? You just prefer a comic in your hands. Understand that. Um, but purely in like the reading experience, it's about the same. Tablet's about the same size as a print comic. Um, slightly less likely to get a paper cut. Black Label, you actually don't have that. The The tablet experience, reading it on digital, doesn't replicate the width, doesn't replicate the actual size, generally speaking, of, of a Black Label book. So I, I mean, I just, I'm so baffled. And I don't even think it's been like a particularly phenomenal year for DC Black Label. I think the, like I talked about it last time, the Riddler Year One stuff that Paul Dana wrote is exceptional. Batman City Madness is off to a good start. Um, the last days of Lex Luthor was cool, but only one issue came out this year. And uh, Waller vs. Wildstorm is one that I got to catch up on a little bit. It seemed promising. But, you know, I thought it was it was stronger last year with, like, Catwoman Lonely City, which to me is, like, instant classic. DC put it on the shelf next to the Killing Joke and Watchmen type stuff. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't get why Marvel has no interest. It I, I wonder, I have to wonder how much of it is... There's a lot of factors, but like Marvel's always had 
Um, they've always been chasing DC and the collected edition side of things, right? Really post Watchmen. Like DC has had a stranglehold on evergreen, perpetual money-making selling trades. And I wonder if Marvel at a certain point, just business-wise, was like, that's not our strength. Our strength is flooding the market with variant covers and too many comics and owning the market share percentage game specific to the retail shop experience. Um, and they kind of just aren't, they don't ever seem to be thinking long-term. They don't ever seem to be thinking, you know, and, and the reason this pains me is like, that's what leads to better story. That's what leads to better vision. If you're thinking, I don't really care, or it's less important to me how much Avengers Inc. number three sells. What I care is that the 24 issue run that Al Ewing is going to put together is going to be something people want to come back to year after year after year. Like that to me is the type of thinking that I would like big two comics to be taking. Um, or in the case of a black label where they're like, you have creative liberty here to take the training wheels off a little bit and do your thing. Do what makes you an interesting artist, right? Um, which is like, that is what we should want out of comic books. I think as fans and as readers with just the plethora of comics at our fingertips, the plethora, <laughs> apologies to all my Italian relatives, um, the plethora of comics at our, our fingertips, like you should want something new. You should want artists who bring something to the table who can tell a story in a way that you didn't expect it to be told. Not who can deliver to, like, listen, I'm not a comic book writer. I am not a comic book artist. I don't need to see my own, uh, uh, you know, sort of mimetic understanding of Batman through all the Batman comics I've ever read reflected back at me in a Christian Ward comic. I want to see Christian Ward do that because I can't draw like him because I can't color like him. That's a vision I can't replicate in my head. He has that gift. I want to see that gift brought to the page. I want to see Marvel encourage and support creators to do that. And it's kind of hard to believe that they're doing that with the complete absence of interest in something like a black label. You know, who are the creators who get that carte blanche freedom of expression at DC and Marvel? And it's not like DC is perfect at this, right? Look at the mainline superhero continuity, right? Like it's, there are limitations everywhere you go. This is big too. This is licensed work. These are owned by major conglomerations who are going to have a say in things at a certain point. But there's just, there's not a prestigious outlet for artistic expression within the Marvel Universe aimed at the aging audience that they seem to want to hang on to. <laughs> yes, I'm pointing at myself. But it's like, those are the books I actually want. The shared superhero continuity stuff, they're trying to scale the shared superhero continuity stuff to the aging can't let go audience. And we're both losing as a result, you know, then I'm staying stuck in arrested development, which listen, I've been there for my entire life. <laughs> okay. But the comics are staying stuck in arrested development. They're not progressing. Why not have an arm where you can do unique things? Now, this is why this is going somewhere. This is why I feel I have so much invested in Marvel's Ultimate Universe next year. And boy, I shouldn't have my hopes as high as they are. 
<laughs> like, like never, never dream because of course your hopes will be crushed. Um, which is the, what I tell my kids every night before they go to bed. Like just, if there's one lesson I can impart, it's that, but I have so much writing right now. I think I'm what I'm hoping for the ultimate universe where it's like, let this be your black label to a degree. Let this be a showcase for interesting ideas and artistic expression. Um, I don't know that it's actually going to be that probably it mostly won't be probably it mostly won't be, but I think there could be instances Hickman on Spider-Man Peach Momoko on X-Men where you get that sense of like, you know, empowered creators, empowered artists, I think is what I want to see. There was some news this past week that uh, the Brian Edward Hill run of Ultimate Black Panther is going to kick off with like Killmonger and Storm heavily involved. Uh, I'm, I'm the most tentative on Ultimate Black Panther because of my relationship to the creative team's previous works, a la Fallen Angels. Uh, but I'm excited about seeing these players and what's going to happen. I mean, like Ultimate Black Panther is going to kick off with the Wakanda more or less immediately going to war with um, like a Moon Knight-led nation. <laughs> like it's it's interesting stuff. You know, uh, this could be great. I have a lot riding on this being good. Probably too much. I mean, I think when I think about 2024 in comics and I think about what am I excited about and is it going to be a good year for Marvel, like all of my hopes are hinged on the Ultimate Universe. I think all of them. I don't think there's a single other thing. I guess Gillen's Rise of the Powers of Ten and whatever Ewing's going to do in Resurrection Magneto. But that that feels like 2023 carryover. <clears throat> that is the end of the Krakow era, right? In this era of X-Men, as opposed to something new. The Ultimate Universe is the something new. That's the building block where I'm like, I want to see this be good. I have a lot riding on this in terms of my own ability to enjoy Marvel Comics come next year. Anyway. Get your thoughts. Get your comments. Let's talk about what's going on with you. Let's see. CBEV says, last time Marvel did that, we got Ultimatum. Uh, not really. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Technically, the last time an Ultimate Universe happened, Ultimatum also happened. It was not a direct line from... Also, like, the original Ultimate Universe was not a huge, like, empowered creator black label space. I mean, a little bit, but like, man, the Bendis and Bagley Ultimate Spider-Man is nostalgic as hell. I mean, it is recreating, you know, the the Lee Ditko Spider-Man era, but for a modern audience. It's hardly like moving on to like a next phase or like a future, like an imagination of what comics and what this Marvel Comics universe can be. That's what I like the Ultimate Universe to potentially represent. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimate, ultimatum comes like seven years into that experiment. So let's see, what else do we got? Do, do, do. Let's see. Mountain Lion says Momoka's ultimate X-Men greater than uncanny X-Men reboot. I hope that it's a conversation. I hope that they're at least in, that it's at least a debate. You know what I mean? Like, like perfect world, perfect scenario is... Both of these are operating at a high level, and it's a real which one of these is better. I would like to have a quarterback controversy between Momoko's Ultimate X-Men and however Uncanny X-Men gets rebooted, right? Um, and without knowing the creatives involved, it's... I mean, I think the the easy assumption <clears throat> amongst fandom 
is like Momoko's Ultimate X-Men is going to be more interesting. It, it, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Uh, but that said, like, we at least need to know who's involved. Let's see. Let's see. Neurotic Mancer says X-Men Red had a weak ending. Did it? Did it, though? 18 issues of X-Men Red. We had, what, 11 issues of Sword before that? I think the Al Ewing X-Verse is around 30 issues. Then we'll have a Resurrection of Magneto by the time all is said and done. We'll have a nice 35-issue omnibus of Al Ewing material. Throw in the cable reloaded cosmic tie-in. What was that event? It was an Annihilation ripoff. What was it? Uh, Scourge? Scourge Annihilation? Oh, I can't think of it. Doesn't matter. That's the thing. Don't have too many events. One event a year. We're going back through the, the era of Marvel events here. In my Marvelous Year, the podcast from Reading Club, we go through the history of Marvel Comics from its origins to today. It's the only way I can think of to quickly and, and very casually summarize that podcast that you should all be listening to. We just did House of M. We just hit House of M. And I'm actually like, I'm more pro-event era than I think a lot of people. Because when I think of the Marvel Comics event era... And, like, my exposure to it and my fandom getting into Marvel Comics, it's that 2004 to 2010, almost entirely Bendis-driven era. And the thing about those events, as Marvel's kind of ramping up what it means to be in an era of events, is, like, there is one central core of the universe event a year. I like Marvel Comics having that. I think it's good for providing a center. It's good for providing a core. Um, House of M whatever you think of the story, which I think starts out very nice <clears throat> and then quickly falls apart, which is kind of the Bendis experience, um, it sets a lot up to make the universe interesting. Maybe not perfect. Maybe there's some stories you don't like, but a lot of people have, uh, X-Men fans have very negative opinions of Decimation, certainly. Uh, but, you know, it's not like it wasn't a curveball. It's not like it wasn't a change of pace from where things had been. I, I like the one big central event in the middle of the the publication calendar, Marvel's problem is they saw that people liked that and said, let's do 75 a year, <laughs> right? And that's that's the problem of everything in entertainment is the second something is working, uh, it just gets milked to death to the point that it's not fun anymore, you know? Uh, milk to death, where does that expression come from? That sounds brutal, right? You milk something so hard and so long that it dies? That's some new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle stuff right there. Watch out for the milking. Uh, anyway, let's get off of that topic before the, the fetishists come for us. All right, getting your questions, getting your thoughts. Let me take a sip. We're no longer sponsored by Big Water, in case you couldn't tell. I've got my fancy uh, gift cup here. Now, no Big Water. They're out. They're out. All right. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts. I'm going to talk about what's going on in the world of of comic books. X-Men Red, number 18. Did it end poorly? I would say no. I'm going to miss this run a lot. Honestly, I really loved the Al Ewing X-Verse. I got a little emotional reading X-Men Red, number 18. Not going to lie. Not going to sit here and pretend I didn't get emotional with Al Ewing talking about what it is to live. How it's more than just survival. I thought it was a pretty interesting meditation on... The, the age-old apocalypse survival of the fittest adage, but, like, actually trying to articulate, well, what is more than that? What is more than survival of the fittest? What should we actually be striving for 
And Ewing settles here in the pages of X-Men Red that we should be striving to thrive, that we should be striving to be able to have everyone live their best lives. And it sounds trite in the way I'm saying it. I do not think it comes across trite in X-Men Red 18. I thought this was a fantastic storm run, probably my favorite storm stuff since Claremont. And by probably, I mean unquestionably. Um, It's one of my favorite X-Men runs of all time. Uh, would I have liked more? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, I think though, when all is said and done, when you put sword and red and resurrection of Mag Daddy in an arguing X-Men omnibus, find me an omnibus, an X-Men omnibus you'd rather have from the last 30 years. You know, what's the competition? Morrison, new X-Men. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> that beats it. Um, I'm very partial to Reminder X-Force. That beats it. What else? That's two. That's two books. I would not put Hickman X-Men above it. Not as good. I think that's it. Unless there's something obvious I'm just spacing on. You know, like, like singular creative visions despite artistic turnover. Now, one huge advantage that I would say the Reminder Uncanny X-Force has over the E-Wing X-Men experience was consistency and, uh, frankly, skill level of artists and storytellers. Reminder always had a really good ability to collaborate with some of the best artists in the biz. Uh, And then Morrison obviously get quietly in there for a huge one-up. But, I mean, I I think it's my third favorite. And then we could run it back even further. Then you got to run it back until Age of Apocalypse in 1995 to give me an omnibus where I'm I'm even considering um, putting it above X-Men Red, and I would, right? So that's, what is it? It's 2023? So give me 20 years. I can't go 30 because then we run an Age of Apocalypse. Give me 20 years of X-Men books, and this is either the second or third, depending on how you're doing the math there with your Grand Wars and stuff, right? That's great. That's great. Um, I don't know. Does that say more about how good Ewing's X-Verse is or how inconsistent and at times unreadable X-Men is. <laughs> you could you could definitely take that and interpret that a number of ways. Ooh, Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X-Men. I'm actually very partial to that run. I had a lot of fun with that. That's in the conversation. That's a nice omnibus. Uh, ooh. I mean, right now, I don't know if it's just recency bias. Maybe it's recency bias. X-Men Red, I, I had a better time reading it live, that's for sure. Um, but is it actually better? That that one's a little dicier. That one's a little dicier. Air Harlem here says Peter David's X Factor was really good. The thing people forget about Peter David's X Factor is it goes forever. <laughs> it 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 starts off with some real interesting stuff. Love me some Madrock investigations. Love me that noir kickoff. And then it just says, Oh, you're enjoying this? We're gonna go until you're not. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna make sure this run is so long that you're definitely out on on X-Force by the time we hit, you know, what, 2010 at best. Um, yeah, I, I have, a, if it, it would be, that's a run that would have been better served with like a four-year plan and ending. That's the thing about the Krakow era, about wanting it to like, oh, only five years. It's like, how many comics get better six, seven years in? That's a pretty unprecedented experience in American superhero comic book history, you know, with, with at least any sort of similar 
uh, retention of the same creatives working on the properties. You know, we could talk about, um, like, obviously the Claremont era stands out. But even that, I mean, that starts, what, 75 is giant size X-Men? By the time we get to 82, we're post Days of Future Past. We're post um, Dark Phoenix Saga. There's some real good stuff that comes after the seven-year mark. But again, the one same writer on a title for 16 years example in history is more of an anomaly than it is any sort of uh, precedent that other artists or creators have shared. You know? I mean, seven years on a title. Or five plus to get past Krakoa. Like, man, that's a lot. A lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, who's even close these days? I mentioned just Peter David X Factor. That's one, right? Peter David, Incredible Hulk. Peter David is, is he's a marathon man. Give him credit for that. Stays on a title and, and stays hard. Dance a lot on Spider-Man <clears throat> would be the other marathon man experience. Um, anything else in the 2000s? I mean, I guess Bendis is on Avengers from 2004 to 2012 in various incarnations. And then Brubaker, oh, Brubaker Cap. That's a good one. You got Brubaker Cap from 2004 until 2012. Maybe there's some Winter Soldier stuff longer than that, though. So that that could be approaching almost a decade. That's great stuff. That's that's your best case example. And again, not a shared universe like Krakoa. You know, Brubaker just gets to do his Cap stuff solo. Kristoff uh, says here, how long was Jason Aaron on Thor? There you go. Jason Aaron's Thor, 2012-2019, that's 7+. plus. That counts. That's in the conversation, for sure. Not a lot of runs that work that way, though. And none, again, none of these, none of these are trying to play ball with other spinoff books in their uh, arena, which is what the Krakoa Axeman experience has been. All of these are just your regular, normal, <laughs> solo team or hero title. You know, they're not trying to do it all. I think I, I've said this before, but the Krakoa era experience was very fun and at times very thrilling, but it also killed for me the idea that the shared superhero universe should be held above singular creative visions. I was I would have said intellectually, philosophically, I was very pro shared universe trying to get everyone on the same page, writing six comics that all feed off each other and get to better. I was very pro that idea being the right way to explore a universe as large as X-Men. But I think the reality that, because here's the thing is like the Krakoa era X-Men office did that pretty well. They did that pretty well, generally speaking. Um, even when some books weren't hitting, there were always like two to three that were cream of the crop and that two to three could vary. And you know what that means? It means the books are, uh, that I have at the bottom are not as bad as probably I think, because for some people they're at the top, right? And if you can kind of rotate like that, you're doing a decent job. You're not going to, you know, hit for all readers all the time. You got to provide a little variety. I think this X office did about as good a job as you can do with a big two shared superhero universe. Again, name better examples throughout superhero history of a bunch of titles playing off each other as cohesively and as in continuity and as of a piece of, of mission of a vision as the X-Men Krakoa era. I will happily wait. Okay. 
and try to get outside of X-Men for this. Two, who else is doing it? Valiant Comics, circa 1991. (laughs) Okay, that's your answer. Like, that's hard stuff to do. There's a reason people generally don't pull it off or generally even flip and try is because the idea of the shared superhero universe is often a lot more exciting than the reality of what you can do when you're actually trying to Voltron together to make something as part of, you know, the writer's room experiment. So I think if it if this was the example of it being done about as well as it could be, and at times it felt that way, there are times when it was, you know, it was like, oh, this, you know, it's falling off the rails, right? We hit that point eventually. But there were times when it was done about as well as it could be. And that, and and still, still, I think we look back and you say, well, something was lacking. Something was missing. And the something that was missing is the opposite approach. <laughs> the something that was missing is Jason Aaron, Isadorevich, Russell Dowderman, Matt Wilson on Thor for nine years. The something that was missing is Ed Rubicker, Steve Epting at all on Captain America for a decade. The something that was missing is the singular vision on a single title, you know? Um, so unless you're totally opposed to the mindset that something was missing and that actually this was the best it could be and it was awesome and no complaints, then I think for me, uh, having not had that experience, what I say then is I actually don't really want to see editors and creators trying to collaborate and, and put together a shared superhero universe in this way again. I would kind of rather not invest in that experience because I think it is a letdown compared to the best of the best in superhero comics, which is when creators sink into a title and they own it and it rules. That's the best experience, I think. And I don't hold it against Krakoa for trying. Again, at the start of things, I would have said that's what I want. And I'm still like tempted by that. You know, like if somebody came in <clears throat> and said, uh, I mean, it's kind of what the ultimate universe is doing, actually. And what did I just say? <laughs> like, what did I just say at the start of this is I've got way too much writing on the ultimate universe. And yet here I am trying to buy into a shared universe experience again. I think the difference potentially with this is you have creators on separate properties, right? So they're all a part of the same universe. Yes. But the Jonathan Hickman, Marco Cicchetto, Ultimate Spider-Man run is probably not in any way especially reliant on what Peach Momoko does in Ultimate X-Men until the inevitable crossover. But that's, you know, we, that's part of doing business here in the superhero comics. Um, so, you know, I, I again, I don't say this as even a criticism of the Krakoa X-Men era, but it killed for me the dream of shared superhero universe comics operating in this way. And probably that was just a dream that needed killing. It's not a dream if it's real, but it's real and it, you know, kind of is a letdown. (laughs) What were we even talking about? How did I get there? Oh boy. Oh boy. Don't drink and cast. I'll tell you that. Let's see. We got some comments coming in here. Um, Christoph says, the Krakoa era is a very decent era. I will enjoy reading most of it again before Fall and Rise of X. I'm definitely not in that headspace of, like, rereading it before the end, but I've been so 
tapped in throughout this time that, you know, I, I feel pretty caught up at all times. Uh, that said, like, yeah, like, you know, and I was saying this all along, like, people are going to come back to this, and they're going to binge it, and they're going to have a great damn time. They're going to have a real good time, you know, and they're going to know the parameters, which helps a lot of times, right? It kind of helps to know this starts in 2019, and it ends in early 2024, and I'm going to binge all of that. You can't be let down by the fact that it doesn't keep going when you go in knowing that. Um, but yeah, people are going to come back and they're going to love this, you know, and they're going to get to pick and choose what they love too. It's going to do fine. <laughs> the, the memory of Krakoa is, uh, is going to be a very positive one, I think. And not like in an underrated, like, oh, the Australian Outback era of X-Men. Like the old heads love talking about the Australian era of Outback. Like <laughs> find, find an old head X-Men fan and I guarantee you within five minutes they'll be on Australia. Uh, but it's like, it's interesting, but it's it's weird and wild and not an easy place to jump into. Krakoa is not that. Krakoa is way better than that. Way flipping better. Uh, so anyway, these comics are going to do fine. Let's see. Thank you, Base God says, did you see the supposed Brevort X office leak on 4chan? <laughs> A little, little known fact about me. Uh, if it was on 4chan, I did not see it. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, let's see. Thank you, Base God points out. Some talking points were Liefeld taking over X-Force <clears throat> and Dan Slott doing an Iron Man book. Uh, I will say the chances of Slot doing anything in this X-Men era are pretty good. Like, Brevoort and Slot have a seemingly, like, a pretty close relationship. Um, I, I think the chances that we see Dan, Dan Slott and Greg Land are pretty high. Uh, Liefeld on X-Force... Are they that desperate? Are they really that desperate? I kind of doubt it. I kind of doubt it. But, I mean, again, I, I don't know how much. I, actually, I know exactly how much credence I'd put in a rumor like that, and it is none. Let's see. Dano Cosmic says, do you think the time Aaron had on Thor was predetermined from the beginning? If so, what else will it take for Marvel to give that kind of freedom for writer again? You know, this actually very much ties into my experience reading Danger Street which is the latest Black Label 12-issue mini from Tom King and Jorge Fornes. And my main takeaway from a Dangerous Street binge is I'd like to live in a reality where a wide variety of comics creators from a wide variety of backgrounds and perspectives have the carte blanche to do as they would with the far-flung corners of absurd superhero continuity. Tom King has allowed his quirks. He has allowed by DC and supported substantially to write a 12 issue mini starring warlord, the star man, nobody knows or likes the what the newspaper Legion or the newsboy Legion lady cop, um, the outsiders creeper. And then yes, technically Dr. Fate and, and dark side in the fourth world a little bit, but just like far flung out of continuity stuff, bringing it all together, having a weird vision for what the DC universe can be. I would like to see more visions like that supported. Now, Tom King has uh, love him, hate him, whatever, right? There's a lot of strong, interesting, uh, or opinion, or rather, there's a lot of strong opinions about a very interesting body of work, um, but built up a tremendous fan base with hits. I'm not saying, like, someone out of the gate should just get whatever they want in terms of, like, you know, oh, here's 12 issues on, you know, your, your D-Man series, right? Like, that's not exactly the way it's going to work. 
but it shouldn't just be like one or two people, you know, like the types of creators that get that level of support, that get that level of, of buy-in. There's just not that many. I guess Hickman's got it right now with gods, right? That's a creator who's put in the time, who's put in the work, and then you get to work like gods. And again, sometimes these things hit, sometimes they don't. But the point is like, you got to give them that space. Let them cook. Can you imagine? I mean, there's so many examples like this, but like Matt Fraction, David Aha, Hawkeye in this market would have gone six issues. <clears throat> maybe, actually, maybe it probably gone five. Everybody would have been saying this run could have been great and it wouldn't have gone any further. One of the best comics of all time. Straight up. You know, uh, as far as the AR and stuff, I don't know how that works behind the scenes in terms of like predetermined how long it goes. I mean, I think what I've gathered from Brevort's email newsletter is basically like kind of nothing is predetermined and it's all dependent on sales. And that like if at some point Thor really bottomed out that regardless of whether or not they thought the run was cooking, they would have ended it. Um, I don't. Yeah, you'd probably have to ask Jason Aaron like. How long did you think you were going to stay on that? Because, you know, he was a, a premier Marvel writer for that entire stretch. Um, it's an interesting question. Yeah. Like, how long did you think you would be on Thor? You know, it's just, it is kind of hard to imagine creator taking over a book now and having the audacity to be like, I'm going to be on this for five years. I mean, that's a, that's the thing that Tom King had the luxury of when he took over Batman. Like, he was hot enough where he was like, I'm going to do 100 issues on that. Can you imagine anyone else saying that about any other book right now? <laughs> like, the audacity <laughs> to suggest, A, that you'll still be there, and B, that a book will even go 100 issues. And obviously, King's, you know, didn't. He got to end it early. But, like, I love that ambition. Creators should want to do that, and they should be encouraged to do so. Um, but like, it's not the, the, the market and the approaches do not support that. I don't think right now, you know? So, uh, all right. What else do we got here? Deus Imperium says it didn't help that so many readers complained that it wasn't the real X-Men. Um, I don't know that that has anything to do with the output. You know what I mean? Like none of my criticisms of things that I think maybe did or didn't work in the Krakoa era are a product of them trying to cater to a confused and uncurious fandom, right? Like those, those voices are annoying, but I don't know that they actually had any impact at all. Like, I, I don't know that anything changed because uncurious, um, stuck in their ways fans got confused <laughs> i don't think anything did change like this is a natural endpoint. it didn't end early you know the fact that it survived as long as it did post hickman i think frankly is a testament to that like they're pretty committed so i mean i will you know credit where it's due to marvel on the krakoa era it's not like they didn't support the era the plug didn't get pulled the rug didn't get pulled out from under them, you know, three years in and they had to quick wrap it up. They supported this era. It was given every opportunity. I don't know how you'd argue that it wasn't. I'd be curious, genuinely, but I don't know how you'd say that. 
Randall says, hey, I like that star man. He's a gay disco one. Fair, <laughs> fair enough, Randall. <laughs> that was my shots fired at blue gay disco star man or uh, perhaps out of out of order. I, <laughs> I will own that one and admit defeat. Uh, let's see. Mikey said, I once asked Slot about the X-Men, and he said he wasn't that big a fan and didn't think he'd be best fit to write an X-Title. Mikey, <laughs> all you're doing is telling me Dan Slot's on the X-Men for sure. Now that means he is 100% going to be writing an X-Book by the end of 2024. <laughs> like, lock it in. Lock it in. Let's see, what else do we got? Christoph asks, what characters, major or minor, came better out of the Krakoa era? That's a good question. Um, who had such a good Krakoa era that they go into 2024 and it's like, oh, I like that character more now, or they're in a better place than they were previously. Uh, Polaris, Lorna Dane, I would say is a much more interesting character than she was previously. The Ken, uh, less creepy, more likable, I think in a lot of substantial ways. Could I just keep going naming the cast of X Factor? I probably could, but that seems like a cheat. Um, who else? Big Daddy A. Way more nuanced. Way more interesting character. Magneto had a good Krakoa. Already loved the little guy to death, but had a good Krakoa. Mr. Sinister had a good Krakoa. I think a lot of characters, actually, are generally more interesting post-Krakoa than they were previously. Like some, I would say, are pretty much unchanged. Wolverine, pretty much unchanged. Psych, unchanged. Um, Storm, in a better place. Colossus would be on the beat down, has to recover category here, right? I would say that the characters who took the biggest hits and have some recovery now would be Colossus, Beast, Professor X. Hmm. Who else? Maybe Moira? I'm not, th- I'm not talking about Moira. You cannot make me. Stop it. Stop it. I'm not doing it. So we got Beast, Colossus, Professor X. Anybody else come out worse for the wear through the Krico era? That one's a little harder. I think most characters come out better. Honestly. Let's see. What else do we got here? Mountain Lion says, Krakoa era's MVP, Storm. <sighs> In the running. Oh, Sink for sure. Good call, Randall. Sink had a great Krakoa. Betsy Brock got a lot of at-bats. She's, she's got to be in a better place than she was before, too. Yeah, Sink actually probably had the biggest from, like, not a ton of people know that character to one of and, and the most important X-Men. That's a pretty huge jump. Uh, I would actually, I don't, I don't know that Laura Kinney had a real good Krakoa. I feel like the run from All New Wolverine to Krakoa was actually a downgrade, but it's a downward trajectory the character was already on. Um, I think she could elevate again, for sure. Cypher had a very good Krakoa. Big Daddy Doug and his little lady. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Jack Klein says the argument that the uh, that the the plug was pulled out played out in X Men Red, great stuff. But you don't get the feeling this arc could have been at least double its length. Seems slightly rushed. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to know. I guess it it didn't feel 
especially rushed. Like, I don't feel like Al Ewing was on issue 16 and suddenly got the memo that he had to finish things in two issues. You know, I don't think it's one of those situations, which, you know, you, you talk to comics creators and one thing you'll hear is a lot of times, like, as they get a series started, like, they always have, like, a backdoor. Like, they always have an out where, you know, if the first two issues don't do well or whatever, they can end the thing in five or six. Like, they, they have, like that's a kind of a cost of doing business a lot of times, especially in this market. And I, d- I do feel like X-Men Red could have been a lot longer and a lot more, me- a lot meatier. But I think a big part of that is that's just what I want. <laughs> you know, like, that's, I, I want that for myself. Um, but I don't know that that means it got taken out early. I mean, I, I think the Genesis Civil War stuff was a bit of a Gordian knot for Ewing. You know, he kind of tied himself down to that and you needed, you kind of needed a lot of, like, that's an event sized kind of thing. I mean, you got all these factions at war. I guess I do think like apocalypse coming back. The big triumphant return of Apocalypse to Araco and siding against his wife Genesis and taking the side of Storm, like all that stuff had that that all happened fast. It did. Uh and it's not it's it's a series that was content to, you know, lay in the spaces of the character moments to to build out this world, and that's part of what I enjoyed so much. So I don't disagree with you in that. I think it could have, and I wish it had been longer. But I, I guess I'd be surprised if if Ewing thought he had a lot longer than he did. That would be an interesting – I'm telling you, the oral history of the X office that comes out in like three years on Sketched is going to be amazing. I'm going to read that so fast and so many times. <laughs> uh, what else do we got here? Vass says Magic had a great Krakoa. Did she? Did Magic have a great Krakoa? Uh, I mean, better than she, better than where she was, at least initially. Krakoa had a pretty good Krakoa. I think that's fair to say. I think that's a really good pick there. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of, a lot of characters got their due. I I actually think the characters who probably, actually, I think Nightcrawler had a pretty bad Krakoa all said and done. Um, I would put Nightcrawler back in that category of Colossus Beast Professor X for characters that took the biggest blows. I think uh, Vasquez Krakoa era could have lasted 10 years just because it could have doesn't mean that would be a good thing. I think there, uh, listen, I am, I am on record as saying the Krakoa era should have continued or no, no, rather I am on record as saying Krakoa should continue as a mutant nation, but this like era and, and kind of putting a bow on all the stuff that happened in house and powers. It's time for that to end. I am happy for an ending to come for that. It makes sense. It is the right time. Destiny had a good Krakoa. That's true. Destiny had a great Krakoa. You know we haven't talked about in a while? First issue of Mortal X-Men. You're a ghost. Fa la 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 la. You're a ghost. Fa la 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 la. Why was Sinister saying that? To Destiny? We still don't know. What... I don't feel especially closer to an answer after nearly 18 issues of Mortal X-Men than I did the first go-round. What is that about? What is that about? Is that because... But but it's in response to Destiny whispering something 
in Mr. Sinister's ear? Is it because Destiny traveled back in time and tells Mr. Sinister what's to come and how, like, she's not even real? There's that cover. There's the tease of someone pointing a gun at Moira. And I think the most popular, it's a house of, what is it? Rise of Powers of Ten, maybe? Or Fall of the Powerhouse of X? It's one of those, one of the minis that's coming up. And uh, the popular theory was Mystique is, is the one pointing the gun at Moira. But I wonder now if it's Destiny. And somehow Destiny travels through, listen, it's mutants. You can travel through time just by stepping into the wrong house. And it's Destiny, and that's how she's in time whispering stuff to Sinister that makes him go comatose. Because what else does that mean? What else is it? You know? Or like, Destiny's like, I just went back in time, and I killed Moira before she could do all this, and that reset to an 11th life, and I'm telling Sinister I'm going to do this, which makes me basically a non-existent person, because I'm from a future that will not come to pass, because the lifelines are going to get reset, and there will be a life 11, and everything that just happened in the Krakoa era will never really have happened because Destiny traveled back in time. Wouldn't that make her a ghost? Am I thinking of this as I say it out loud? Yes. Is it definitely right? Also, yes. I think we did it. I think I just Dave, Dave's to need. I think I just Dave's to need live on air. Somebody poke a hole in this. Somebody try to find any way this is not true. Let's see. Shadowcat had a good Krakoa. Uh, yeah, mostly. <laughs> Nature Girl. <laughs> okay, let's put Nature Girl in the Colossus, Beast, Professor X, Nightcrawler, Nature Girl. We have a starting lineup of most thoroughly abused and beaten down characters. Uh, Grey Crow did actually have a good Krakoa. That's a good pick here from JJ Tiffany. Let's see. What else do we got? Xavier says, Sinister Xavier would be an interesting gun holder. True. Definitely definitely a possibility. One of the players. Banksy says, maybe Destiny knows who the Dominion is. Possible. Haven't really seen any clues of that yet. Outline says, reset theory works for me to wrap this thing up. I do think we're going to get the Moira reset. I do think that's happening. I We talked about this last time. I think it's it's going to be a letdown compared to what it felt like, but I, I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> you put a reset button in a story before a reset. There's a pretty solid chance that reset button's getting pushed. Boss says, I cracked it. All right, we got one vote for yes. Um, Boss says Nightcrawler had a good Krakoa. Disagree. What do y'all think? Did Nightcrawler have a good Krakoa? Or is he in the starting five of characters that have the most to recover from? Lest we forget, recently, previously on X-Men, in Legion of X, Nightcrawler is turned into a demon monster by his maybe witch mom, not his real mom. He is then sent to assassinate world leaders and is now hiding out pretending to be Spider-Man to clear his name. <laughs> I feel like any mutants turned into demons and made to assassinate world leaders had a bad Krakoa. 
I think that's where I fall on that one. Thank You Base God says, one of the fall of House of X books <clears throat> will be Destiny going through lifelines and eliminating Moira as a mirror to the books that kicked off the era. That would be cool. That I would super be there for. Is like we go through all of Moira's lifelines and Destiny kills her in all of them. And that actually her reported deaths were never how the story played out in the first place. That sounds like a really cool beat. Tektronic says, The Krakoa era is like a bad relationship that I should move away from, but I just can't let go. I remember all the good times at the start of the relationship, which blinds me to how bad it was. <laughs> that's, that's very emotional, but, but pretty good uh, summary, I think, of, of what the experience felt like sometimes. Well stated. Warren Register asks, Wouldn't a Moira reset also reset everything else in Marvel? Warren, you're probably right. You're probably right. But honestly, Moira's been botched so hard at this point that you can just, you can just do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever you want. The thing you could easily do is you just say it resets everything to the point that like Krakoa never came to be, but you know everything else in Marvel just played out the way it otherwise would have played out. Don't worry, nothing else has changed. That's a possibility. Um, I mean, I, I think you're right that that's how it should work, but at this point, I'm not too, can't be too fussed by it. Oh, Air Harlem nominates Franklin Richards, had by far the worst Krakoan era. Okay, but the the bad thing that you're talking about didn't happen in any of the Krakoa books, right? It happened in Dan Slott's X-Men, or <laughs> Dan Slott's X-Men. Uh-oh, uh-oh, we've spoken it aloud twice now. It's happening. If we say it a third time, Slot's going to jump through the mirror in my office here. Um, Franklin Richards did have a bad Krakow era. I'm not putting him on the top five. You could probably put him on the bench. I think that's fair. James says, could an X-Men Moira reset somehow reset to when Moira died during the early 2000s? Uh, I mean, that now we're getting into real weird continuity territory that I think they will stay away from. They don't want to have to redo the 2000s. That would actually, <laughs> you know what you could do? You got all these, all these stuck in their ways, old heads complaining about, you know, comics aren't like they used to be anymore. Right. You could, you could Moira reset and be like, fine. Comics are in 1985 again. You happy? Are you happy now? They're not going to do that, but you could, but you could, you know what else you could do? You just go read comics from 1985. They're available on Marvel Unlimited for fairly cheap. You can just always do that. Did you know that? Just always. Nothing is stopping you. Always there. Haven't gone anywhere. What else do we got? Jordy, is it too late for Moira to just reveal she was fake being evil? I told you, I'm not talking about Moira. Stop pushing me. Stop pushing me. I'm having a fine night. Things are decent. I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going to get some dinner. I'm not going to yell about Moira and my poor family. <laughs> We're all just going to move on. Yes, it's too late. It's much too late. JJ says, Havoc had a bad Krakoa. <laughs> Ooh. I don't know if that's true. Here's the thing. If you asked Alex Summers, how was your Krakoa? And he pauses a beat. And he thinks about Maddie. And he thinks about that underboob. In three separate series, Havoc did not have a bad Krakoa. No, he did not. Let's see. 
Gold Balls had a good Krakoa. I will still not be calling him Egg. <laughs> that would. <laughs> I hope a creator has to reconcile that guy trying to go by Egg post Krakoa. Changing your whole name. Dude changed his whole look to try to fit with the trend. We all said, no, you're Gold Balls. But he was like, no, I'm Egg. Please respect me. Call me Egg. And now there won't even be any more eggs. Poor guy. Poor guy. All right. Get in your final questions. Get in your final thoughts. I will address as many as I can. I only, I really only have one what's good this week. And my what's good is the Ballad of Halo Jones. <clears throat> the Ballad of Halo Jones, written by Alan Moore, with art by Ian Gibson. R.I.P. to Ian Gibson. Condolences to the family and the comics community. Uh, Ian Gibson passed this week. I saw that and obviously, uh, you know, felt badly about that. Um, and you see that the family's trying to do some fundraising for like the headstone for the funeral. So if you're able to search for that and check that out, that's recommended as well. If you're able to give anything, I'm sure they'd appreciate that. But did the Ballad of Halo Jones with Alan Moore. And that's some more work that I'd never read before. 2000 AD thing from the mid 80s. Been reading that. Been having a good time. Real good time on the old town tonight reading some Alan Moore. There's a handful of Alan Moore things that I've never read. Not a lot, but a handful. And uh, I like me some Alan Moore comics. Still my number one. Still my goat. Love Grant Morrison. Respect the hell out of him. But Alan Moore will always be my number one, I think, uh, in comics. Hard to see that changing for me. Just like a gift. A gift to the comics medium, at least as far as the ambition and, and the ability. And the ability to imagine the British uh, writer, British Babu, who's written for Comic Herald, one of my favorite, probably just straight up my favorite comics critic, who writes about this stuff occasionally today, um, talks about the ability to imagine futures for comics and how that is kind of one of the biggest fights right now is just the inability to imagine a future for the backwards-looking folks and how the ability to imagine a future, to imagine new ways of what this thing could be, is like the thing that people should be thinking about. And Alan Moore was always imagining futures for comics. They don't have to be this. They don't have to be just for kids. They don't have to be 2000 AD, Judge Dredd, Blood and Guts for guys. They can be the Ballad of Halo Jones. Imagining futures that don't exist. Love that. Love that phrasing. Love that line of thinking. And it's a huge part of what I love about comics when I'm obsessed with good comics. All right. I'm going to take a sip from our sponsor today. Our sponsor is a mix of whatever drinks you have in your office. Go into your office, mix them all up in a cup. Whatever drinks you got in there, take a big swig. Thank you to our sponsor today. James says WizKid had a good minute of Krakoa. WizKid had a great Krakoa, unquestionably. Jordy asks, how do we feel about Emma's Krakoa? Ooh, that's a harder one. Generally pretty good. Generally pretty good. Emma was always in a position of influence and often a voice of reason on the Quiet Council. Set up the Hellfire Gallows in a position of power. And even now is like one of the leaders of the resistance and working with Tony Stark to kind of try to get back at Orcus. I, especially where Emma was, you know, the decade prior. Um, a very positive... Krakoa for Emma, I would say. Do you think Legion had a good Krakoa? Ooh. That's a tough one. That's a really tough one. Yes. Yes. 
Where is Legion? Is Legion the Dominion? So many questions still, but I guess I'd say yes. Vass says, Agent Brand had a bad Krakoa. Ooh, that one I disagree with. <clears throat> Agent Brand was one of the most interesting characters for like a year and a half. And yes, she seemingly went to work with Orcus and kind of against mutant kind in her own interest, but it, it feels on brand. It doesn't feel like character assassination, right? It doesn't feel like a desecration of the character, which is, you know, like the beast thing. It kind of just feels like a decision that character would make in their own interest in the interest of the cosmos. So I'm, I'm actually, I like the, the, the Krakoa era that Asian brand had. JJ Tiffany says Draymond Green had a bad Krakoa era. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. Let's see how many, how many championships <clears throat> did the Warriors win? During the Kirko era. Was it just the one? It was just the one, right? Let's see. We're going to have to look up a list <laughs> of NBA champions. And because uh, we're starting in 2019. Okay, so we got... Oh, no. Technically, the 19 champs are the Warriors. So they, they get two. They get two in the Kirko era. Although, actually, you know what? No, they don't, really, because the Golden State Warriors beat the Toronto Raptors in, what would that have been, like June of 2019? So that's pre-Hoxpox. So we're going to give them one. So one championship, plus all the nonsense Draymond has going on now, and he's been, you know, uh, on a downward spiral, downward trend as a player. Every time they talk about, like, oh, will the Bulls trade for Draymond over the last three years? I'm like, what? why? Why on earth? Like, such a such a product of that system. Uh, no, thank you. No, thank you to those trades. Yes. I will say Draymond had a bad Krakoa. I think we can agree. Bird nerd says Gambit had a bad Krakoa. Yeah, that's a good pick. Not a good Krakoa for Gambit. Not, he's not even on the roster of the beatdown group, but, but a pretty bad Krakoa. Mikey says X-Man had the worst Krakoa. Oh, X-Man's on the roster. Didn't even show. How how is simultaneously lame and amazing would it be if the Dominion was Nate Gray the X-Man? <laughs> oh, that would kill me. That would kill me. It would be like a sensible kind of works choice that everyone would hate so much. <laughs> oh, that'd be brutal. I love it. I hope they do that. All right. What else? Yeah, Colossus, did Colossus have the worst Krakoa? Because <laughs> at least Beast, like, you 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 knew the trajectory Beast was on the whole time, you know? At least got to own being a villain by the end. Professor X, same deal. You knew it was going to be a fall. You knew the hubris was going to let him down. I think Colossus might actually have had the worst Krakoa. That's pretty fair. Xavier says the girl Colossus killed and never resurrected had a bad Krakoa. Okay, she might have had it worse. We can probably agree she had it worse than Colossus. Oh, that was bad. Why is that even in the story? All right. Nobody says, I've been saying Nate Gray is in God's. And then just couldn't even finish the thought. If it's Nate Gray, I will lose my damn mind. Voss says Bishop had a good Krakoa. Cable had a bad Krakoa. Uh, I don't see that distinction. I don't see that distinction. Kid Omega had a 50-50 Krakoa. Kid Omega had the Krakoa he deserved. I got no complaints with Kid Omega's Krakoa. Mm. 
JJ points out Gorgon had a back Krakoa. That's a pretty good call. Uh, Gorgon got turned into intellectually into a child after starting out very cool. Where last time we saw Gorgon? All right, I think we're here. I think we're here. I think we're at the end. We're talking about Gorgon. I think we've been on the mic long enough. Uh, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com. Go ahead and subscribe to the email newsletter. That's the most likely place. You're going to see published works from me. Like, subscribe, share on the YouTube channel. All that good stuff. Let's see. Am I going to be here next week? Are you? Is anybody? What's coming out? we got, a, I think, Immortal X-Men next week, right? The week of 1220, the Wednesday before the holidays, we got an issue of Wolverine. We got an issue of Wonder Woman. We got Gods number three. We got Uncanny Spider-Man number five. And those would be the usual suspects. Okay, I can be talked into it. I could be swayed. I will probably be here next week. Like, subscribe, comment on the channel, please, and all that stuff, and I'll be there. I got to say, I think this one went pretty well. I feel good about this live stream today. I don't always. Sometimes I come out of it, and I'm like, oh, boy, what just happened? What did we even talk about? I feel like today we nailed it, and you all helped tremendously comments and thoughts. Thanks for being here live. Love having you here. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the comics.